because I get contacted on a daily, weekly basis of somebody that wants to challenge themselves and do an adventure and whatnot. Um, and they ultimately don't respect the enormity of the goal that they've set and they don't give it the time in order to prepare. Um, and what people don't realize is the 50, I didn't wake up just one day and go, you know, I'm going to do 50 Ironmans in 50 days throughout 50 states. There literally was a decade before that. Welcome to the Sam Gash podcast. These are conversations with trailblazers, rule breakers, and those who pave their own lane and venture boldly into the unknown. By entering this uncharted arena, they inevitably stumble, yet they all display an ability to innovate and contribute, even when the odds are not in their favor. We skip over their highlights reel and go into the guts of who they are and what they believe in. I'm your host, Samantha Gash. And I'm an endurance athlete, a former corporate lawyer, and a social impact entrepreneur. It is my absolute privilege to create the space for these guests. If you found these conversations to be of value or have any feedback, please subscribe, rate, and review, and I hope you enjoy. I have been holding on to this conversation for a couple of months now. During the first lockdown uh, in Melbourne, I sat down for a couple of hours with James Lawrence, or better known as the Iron Cowboy. We last year competed in Eco Challenge in separate teams, and Eco Challenge, the world's toughest race, has just dropped on Amazon Prime in a 10 part series over the weekend. All 10 episodes dropped at once, which means you can have an absolute binge fest. So, obviously, we spoke all things Eco Challenge VG. But then we went all the way back to James Lawrence's feats of endurance. Uh, he's a multiple world record holder uh, in the sport of triathlon. He is an insanely inspiring and sought-after inspirational speaker. In 2015, he set a new record by doing 15 Ironman triathlons in 50 consecutive days in all 50 states. Not only is that physically insane, but the logistics of that is monumental. And the fact that he brought his entire family in tow for that journey with his five kids, massive respect. James doesn't hold back uh, and I find it incredibly refreshing that he deep dives into what it takes to create these feats of endurance or the dreams that you want to do, how you need to back yourself, um, how you need to put the skin in the game and not wait for someone else to make these things a reality. Um, I do also want you to know that we did record this podcast um, in the first wave of COVID-19 and, and things have evolved since now and it could be influencing some of the things that we talk about in James's plan in the second part of the podcast. But irrelevant to all of that, this is a cracker of conversation. I know you guys are going to love it and I hope you enjoy. Oh, people are going to love that. I was actually quite wrapped up in it. It... um. I felt for you. <laughs> I was like, Ooh. so you did end up watching it then? Oh yeah, I watched the whole thing. Like I put yeah. my earphones on. My child was asleep next to me. <laughs> Turned down the the screen brightness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, you um, you took yourself to some places. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, and that's what was so funny about Eco Challenge. Um, they they kept they kept trying to compare the two, and I'm like, guys, look, you can't compare a 10 day adventure to uh, a 50, a seven week long suffer fest. And I mean, that's why we were so happy and having so much fun because it was, it was just a blast out there. Like we had a good 
time. You can't compare anything that is 10 days to 50 days. Like, I don't care what the activity is. It just the compounding effect of that compared to anything else is, is non-comparable. I couldn't agree with you more. And I got a similar question about, you know, what was harder running across India or this? And I said, they're both challenging, but the cumulative effect of like 77 days, like not even put aside the physical stuff, just like having to show up every single day and like deal with all the crap. Yeah, for sure. And my answer truly was, I think 10 days of eco challenge was harder than 10 days of the, the 50, but, but it's because I've, I know swim by grunt so much. I was dealing with so many unknowns with the, I mean, we'd never done adventure racing before. I mean, that was just so outside of our scope and there was so many unknowns and there was no way we could prepare for that. So, you know, 10, 10 against 10, you know, I could do somewhat of a comparison, but when you talk about 50 versus 10 days, I mean, it's not even on the same. And, and Kevin just kept trying to get this answer from me. And I'm like, dude, listen, stop it. And I've become really good friends with Kevin now. Uh, we were we were scheduled to do a ski race in Colorado together. Um, mm. So we, we've just become really good friends, Kevin and I. We both have Canadian roots. And so um, it's just been, just been fun to get to know him a lot better too. You're from Calgary, right? Yeah. Do you get to go back to Canada much? Uh, when the kids were little and it was like easy to road trip, um, we would go almost every year, twice a year. Uh, but now that they're older and, you know, I got two in high school now and activities. And I mean, it's just so, so hard to get everybody on the same page to do that type of thing. And, and we've been there. So we know if we do a family trip, we're going to do something else. But with this whole COVID shutdown and whatnot, I've got a grandmother who's in a, in a home up there and probably near the end of her life, uh, all my kids are like, Hey, can we do, can we do a trip and go see great grandma? And so yeah. we're as soon as the Canadian borders are still shut as of this moment, we think we're three weeks out. Um, and my, I mean, hell, my cal- my calendar has opened wide up uh, because I <laughs> obviously my life is speaking events and athletic yeah. events, all of which have been canceled. And so um, I, I did a post uh, uh, before um, this recent craziness happened when everyone was in the uh, uh, pandemic basically saying that ev- we're all in the we're all in the same crisis but we're all in different boats and we're experiencing this different depending on our life's experience and our perception and and our current situation and i mean some people are like how am i going to put food on the table and other people are like oh finally a break um from chaos and all the work and all that and for me i fall into that category of this is the most I've been home in five years. Mm. And yeah. I, I mean, with all respect to the, everybody that is, is struggling, this time has been amazing for me. Um, I've, I've had a chance to decompress and, and be with my kids and, and take some downtime. And I've really enjoyed it. And, and that by no means demeans the, the struggles and the, the realness of what's going on and the impact that it's having. Um, and, and that's that was the whole point of the post of we're all in different boats and we get to experience every bit of everything in our lives based on our circumstances, our past experiences and all the different things. And so it's actually been a, a really interesting time. Obviously, it's an interesting time in history, um, yeah. but in, interesting time for me personally. Um, just to, I think it's good to 
in life outside of a pandemic to take a self audit, right? To, to sit down and, and question the journey that you're on, the path that you're on, the direction that you're going. And I think we just get so caught up and busy in life that we, we don't just chill out for 10 seconds and go, okay, am I, why am I doing this? And what's the purpose and who is it impacting and how are we creating value and all these different things. And so mm-hmm. it's been a great, great for us to, to just kind of sit down be with family, reprioritize. Um, and I've been able to shift my business to do other things. And we've always wanted to take things more online and, and, uh, we've, we've had the virtual coaching, but my speaking and our, and our, uh, our mental coaching program, our iron grit class that Sunny and I do, we've been talking about it for years, but haven't been able to sit down. And oddly enough, right before the global shutdown in March, we had just released our, our program. And so during the pandemic, we were able to do an eight week course, um, live with, with people that had registered, which was, you know, it was going to be really hard to fit around my existing schedule, but I, I, I was able to give it my full attention. And so that was, that was super cool. I mean, I have so many questions about that, but just off, you know, giving it your full attention, do you feel it's been a while, I mean, at least since 50-50-50, that you've been fully been, a, been out of focus on one thing? I, yeah, absolutely. Um, I have definitely learned, and the reason the 50 was so successful is because, man, we were all in. It was the only project we had, and it was all we were focusing on, and we just lived it, breathed it, dreamt it, executed. I mean, that's just everything we did. Um, and then post-50, we got pulled in a million different directions, speaking and writing and courses and coaching and um, products and, I mean, all of these different things. And and I learned, I'm like, whoa, you can't, you can't be successful at all of this, and you have to really start to, to rein it back in. And I gave myself a hard rule um, recently where I'm like, I'm not allowed to start anything new, and I have to, I have to finish everything that I'm working on. And again, this time of of craziness and shutdown, I've been able to do that, and so I've been able to get on top of a pile of work and and really put systems into place to start to see progress on, on my big vision, the big vision of helping people and, and, and having that impact and continuing to just help people get out of their own way. Cause that's the biggest thing I've learned as, as, as a speaker. I mean, I've had the opportunity to speak in 48 different countries in the past five years. Um, and I've just really learned that as humans, we're in our, we're getting in our own way. We're toughest on ourselves and um, and it's just it's the space between our ears and our, our mindset around it. And so it's just been a lot of fun to realize that commonality, no matter where we go in the world, at mm. humans, humans, we're, we're, we're getting in our own way. And, you know, you and I met on on the, the show that's coming out at the time of this recording should be in August, um, Eco Challenge, World's Toughest Race. I um, mean, it was just super cool. There was uh, thir- over 30 countries represented there, um, all dealing with toughness and grit and mindset and how they they do that and that that was obviously the the center piece of this race obviously everybody was physical and whatnot but to succeed or fail at that level at this event in that environment it came down to how you managed your thoughts how you manage the conversation that you were having with yourself uh, managing the bully inside of you and all of that stuff and then managing your team and the, the the support and the film crews i mean all of it it just it really comes down to how well you can manage the conversation with inside your own head did you find that the conversation that you had to have in your head for eco challenge was different than the conversation you had in your head for the 50 50 50 yeah so 
man, I, I really enjoyed the the. I enjoy solo time. I do. I love conversation with myself. I love the self audit process. I love thinking. I love dreaming. Um, but but I loved the the part in Fiji where it was a complete disconnect, right? So on the fifty, I still had access to social media and the phone and this and that. When we were in Fiji, as you know, we we had to like hand in our electronics and like it was a complete disconnect. And I loved that. Um, and mm-hmm. and I spent a lot of time alone on the fifty, where long bike rides by yourself. I mean, there was people there, but you're kind of in such an exhausted state, where where um, in the Eco Challenge, you had your teammates and it was more like this fun adventure that we got to experience um, with not as many dark times. I mean, obviously super challenging and we can't uh, go into a lot of details about what happened out there. Um, but we always had a, we always had a team around us. And, and what was super cool is there was 67 teams from around the world and we, you were rarely not around yeah. another team or within a mile or passing someone or someone passing you and camaraderie i know we you you and i crossed paths on the course a couple times yeah. and it, was, it was just t- tons of fun um mm-hmm. i remember the first time when you guys caught us and then we never saw you guys again you guys disappeared <laughs> on us and left us for dead but uh man what a yeah just just very very different experiences um and how they were laid out one because this was more of a more of a team right you had a- other athletes there with you were the 50 and that was like a a solo journey, um, just trying, trying to, trying to show up every single day and, and get it done. I mean, oh gosh, there's so much that it even brings my memory back because I think sometimes when you take part of these adventures, these very intense, immersive experiences, they can become this blur. And it's when like someone reminds you of that moment. I remember when I saw you out there on the course and we had this like exchange and we'd spent some time together before the start of the race. And obviously we know each other via social media, but like relationships intensify and they accelerate really quickly. And you're talking about, you know, camaraderie of teams across the field. But, you know, if you're even 600 metres away from another team, you can feel just isolated in the world of just you and your, you know, three other people in that race. And then all of a sudden you're being asked to interact with another team maybe a couple of hours down the track. And I just, I loved the dynamic nature of really not knowing what was going to happen versus like the 50-50-50. And I describe it as you had a, you had a lot of certainty amongst your unknown. So you knew, you know, what was going to be hopefully the structure of each day. You knew what the distance was going to be. You obviously knew the disciplines in which you were doing. But the fact that you were, like, my thing that I'm trying to get my head around so much with your project is the commuting (laughs) between, like, state to state to state with your family in tow. Like, do you think, and I, I want to talk about your family because that's, one of the most fascinating parts of me. You've got five kids. Yeah. What were their ages when you were doing that project? Yeah, they were between ages um, five and a half and 12. So we had five kids in six and a half years. Uh, I've got four girls and a little boy. Yeah. And uh, we, you know, it's been five years since the 50. And um, I, we look back at the documentary and pictures mm-hmm. that we just have from the journey and, Man, you know, when someone says Quinn, that's my little man, and they're like, Quinn was five. And I'm like, no way. Like, you you just, everyone kind of grows together, but you don't realize just how small they were. And then everything we did, like the decade beforehand, how little the kids were. I mean, in 2012, when we did the world record for the most Ironmans in a year, I mean, my oldest was nine. 
and that means I had nine to three. And um, obviously, Sonny is the the glue that holds all this together. And I, I say this all the time that nothing great's ever accomplished on our own, and mm-hmm. uh, none of this happens without um, how tight our family unit is and how well we work together and understand and communicate with each other. Well, and you've pushed your family to. to- You've stretched them. You've stretched them to experiences that probably most family, like, tight networks don't have to experience or don't choose to experience. You know, as you said before, you've got a couple of records under your belt. You've got in 2010 you did 22 half Iron Mans in 30 weeks and then two years later you did the most number of full Iron Mans in a year, which was 30 in 11 <laughs> countries. And were those official Ironman races? Yeah, all official sanctioned events, um, which adds another level of complexity because now you're dealing with um, a lot of things that, again, are outside of your control, time parameters, check-ins, um, very, very strict schedules. Um, it, but but every, you know, every one of those years was pivotal into the success of future campaigns because of the learnings. And it's the biggest mistake I see people make because uh, I get contacted on a daily, weekly basis of somebody that wants to challenge themselves and do an adventure and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. And they ultimately don't respect the enormity of the goal that they've set and they don't give it the time in order to prepare. Um, and what people don't realize is the 50, I didn't wake up just one day and go, oh, you know, I'm going to do 50 Ironmans in 50 days throughout 50 states. There literally was a decade before that. And I think that the, the 2012 world record was the most important piece of the training puzzle I did for the 50 and getting my body ready. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we did, you know, for the, the bulk of that, it was over. And, uh, you know, there, there was a time when I did um, – eight weekends in a row of doing an Ironman every single weekend and, and just, just learning how to process that type of volume and training in between. And, and then even after the, the 30 in a year, um, I took two and a half years to prepare for the 50. And so just, just piling up that experience and that knowledge and that durability, because that's what the 50 came down to, right? How strong can you get? And how long can you hold on before you break both physically and mentally? And the only way to do that is be, to become very physically strong. And I, I, I coach full time and every mistake that every athlete makes is they try to rush endurance and speed and, and they try to go too long too quickly. Well, it took me a decade to get to where I could even conceptualize the thought of doing that. Um, and, and I mean, you look at, you look at the, you look at the current, world champions in the half Ironman and full Ironman distance um, for the past four or five years, where did they all come from? They all came from ITU world championship racing, right? We're talking lights out, raw speed, um, just holding on like a tw- like a 15 minute, 16, 17 minute swim, um, hold on for dear life on your bike. And then a sub, sub 30, 10 K, um, that's where these guys came from with the foundation of just raw speed and power. And then over time have turned it into endurance and, and, and Ironman, I get, it's their wheelhouse. It's what they do. They, they, they promote it as, you know, all of these massively inspirational stories and it gets that person up off the couch and they go, I want to do an Ironman. And although that's a great goal, they're missing a lot of steps in between to ensure a much better experience they could have instead of jumping right into the iron distance race. 
Yeah, I'm so happy you talk about that gradual build-up, um, not just, I think, of the physical, and I think that's very obvious. Like it takes time for your body to be attuned to endurance, but I think the mental part, it takes, I think, a long time for your mind to realise that your body will adapt that it can be broken and then it can rebuild, that you can have setback after setback and you can still cope and potentially down the track you might even thrive. But you can also operate almost at your body at half capacity. I, I similarly get messages from people going, I've just watched Run India or I've just heard about you doing this and now I'm going to do X. Yeah. And I sometimes kind of go, oh, oh, what's your background and what have you done? And they're like, well, I've never actually run before. And the first thing I kind of want to say to them is, are you, does the run thing actually excite you or is it the adventure that psychs you or is it something that you just want to do something that you've never done before? But I sometimes like to test people a little bit by going, are you just kind of captivated by the film and so you want to do, you want to replicate that or is it about finding your thing, like finding your extension of yourself and how can that potentially manifest? Because you and I will both know um, it's pretty hard to create these projects and unless there is a really strong why and you are connected to every part of that, you're not even going to get to the start line of it. No, I, I mean, and, and that's the other thing too is, a couple of the biggest questions I obviously get, and you get them too, is um, how, how do you prepare for this, and, and how quickly can I get to the start line? Wrong, wrong question. And then, and then two, how do you do deal with sponsorship? And I, I always reply to, to everybody, and I'm saying, look, this has to be a personal journey for you that you're excited and passionate about, that you need over a dozen reasons why you want to do it. And I said, if we're talking sponsorship world, like I, I got, I am now to the point where I can go out and get sponsors and whatnot, but that's only after a decade worth of proving my worth. And if I'm being completely honest, there's two categories of, of sponsorships um, that companies care about. And, and people don't like it when I tell them this, but it's full on reality. There's, there's two categories. There's mummy bloggers that have a million followers that are very quantifiable. The company knows their ROI, they get a post and they know exactly what it is, right? There's that category. And then there's the, your superhumans like the, like LeBron James, Conor McGregor, um, Dwayne, the rock Johnson. Th th those are the categories, right? Super, super mega. And then your mommy bloggers that have over a million followers, that's very quantifiable. And literally everybody in the middle gets washed out. And so I, I, I tell these people all the time, I go, look, you have to do, you have to do, you have, you have to keep two things in mind and, and approach this two ways. One, go down this road because it's a passion project. You're doing it for you and you don't want notoriety. You have to be able to fund this on your own. And two, locally go to local people that mm -hmm. you can sell them emotionally on what the project is and they want to help you out just to help you out because yeah. i mean most of these people don't don't have a social media following and and i mean i have a quarter million followers which is nothing in in what sponsors are looking for and they they look at it and go okay you've got a couple world records quarter million followers yeah you know, not we've got other opportunities over here, right? And and so it's just it's it's frustrating. Um, and at the end of the day, just like you said, you you have your passion have to has to be so over the top because you're gonna you're gonna run into so much adversity, so much um, negativity, uh, so much uh, raw just difficulties um, and and obstacles that that if you don't have the passion, and you're not doing it for the right reasons. 
no chance you get to the start line. And so I tell every single person, look, just it's got to be it's got to be driven from passion, and you have to have at least a dozen reasons why you're doing mm-hmm. this. Because when it gets real and hard, you're going to look at your one reason and go, eh, and I'm out. And that's why everybody um, bails on on their dreams because people just want the result. They want the end ticket. They want the end notoriety and whatever comes with it, but they're not willing to do the work. I can't tell you how many people that they'll, they'll hire us and we lay out the whole game plan, like an annual game plan and, and the work it's going to take. And they're like, Oh, I didn't realize it was, I, I thought we were going to be able to push an easy button here. And, uh, and then they ultimately, they get a little bit into the training. Like this is, this is too hard. I can't do it. And they're not, they're not willing to sacrifice to get what they want. We live in yeah, a day and age of instant gratification. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, you potentially experienced exactly what you're talking about right now when you did those full Ironmans in 2012. Like you thought that you were going to get sponsored because you were going after something that was a record. Yep. And in the end, you and your family had to fund that uh, and kind of connect with your friends in different countries to kind of get the rego for fee covered and you were sleeping on people's, you know, living room floors and all that kind of stuff. Did you have to go through a process of thinking that, I'm not saying entitlement, but thinking because I'm doing a record, it's going to get attention, I'm going to be able to get the financial support. At what point in that journey did you realise this is not going to happen if I want this bad enough, I'm going to have to put my skin in the game for it. Yeah, early, early on. I mean, when I when I started to realize that the big companies with the money hire employees just to answer sponsorship emails and turn them down, I was like, okay, this is obviously – and this was a decade ago, right, when, the, when social media isn't what it is today and you couldn't quantify your results and all that. Even back then, I mean, it's a full-time employee turning people down because that's how many requests. It's so funny. I mean, I, people you, – you now have to do something th- – there's only, there's only uh, a couple categories now. You have to be so unique and different from everybody else or – you, you have to do something that nobody else has done. And I mean, you, you get it. You're from the running world. A dude has run to the top and back of Everest. A guy's <laughs> run to the top and that back of Everest, Mount Everest, 29,000 feet in the air. He ran up it and ran back down. A guy just ran every single co- uh, country in the world, a marathon in every single country and didn't get the support and whatnot from sponsorships. And so like, if you're out there right now and you're like, Ooh, I'm going to run across the country. Great. Run across the country, but do it for you because nobody cares. And it sounds ruthless and it sounds cruel, but it is the, it's the truth. You have to do this because you want to do it. It has to be for you. And, but you know what? Like that is liberating. When you say that to me, like, if you want to do it, don't pin one of the reasons that you can do it to getting financial support. It actually becomes a barrier from people doing stuff and becoming resourceful and creative and going, how can I put these pieces of the puzzle together on my own? Um, I think people feeling that they can get sponsorship for something is just another excuse to not doing it. And it's, a, and it's another excuse to not do the difficult path to do it and, and make it happen on your own. I will never, ever, 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 ever in a million years donate to a GoFundMe campaign where someone's raising money to fund their adventure. Dude, everybody wants to do that. Now, if you're raising money for charity and 100% of the proceeds go to charity, totally different. But I will never donate to someone that is raising money to fund the cost of their adventure. No, no, no. That's not how this works. 
Yeah, there, there is something, and I refer to the word as like put your skin in the game. Yep. I think the, when, if people listening to this and, you know, they want to create the adventure of their dreams, they feel, you know, passion and purpose behind it, two things I'll say is firstly write a, a list uh, like actually physically write that list down of all the reasons why you want to do it yep. and then write all the reasons why you potentially might quit it. So, yep. like, I think you need to see why you want to do it and what would stop you from getting there. So, like, you're really clear about it. And then the next thing you have to say to yourself, if I am not willing to put my skin in the game physically, emotionally and financially, why would anyone else possibly do that? For sure. Yeah, and yep. I think once you make that decision, well, what might happen down the track? Who knows? Because if you, I feel like if you're really living in like your purpose and you've got high conviction and you're willing to do it at all costs, who knows that when you start to share that story of just living in you, um, that's captivating. And you might get additional support down the track because I think there is something incredibly compelling about be- people being truly committed to something. That's what's interesting. For but sure. you can't you can't fake commitment. No, like, you, you see it through the proof in the pudding. It drives me nuts, and I, people are going to hate me or like me. I don't even care anymore. Um, but I, <laughs> I hate it when I get an email that they say, "Hey, I want to I want to live my passion. I want to do this and that." Uh, and they're like, "How do I find my passion?" The only way to find your passion is to do a, a gazillion different things and go yeah. experience. And they're like, "Ooh, I want to I want to watch a I want to watch a YouTube video and find out what my passion is or I want to know exactly what it is." Dude, I didn't know I loved wrestling until I wrestled. I didn't know I was passionate and loved golf until I golfed. I didn't know I loved triathlon until I did it. Dude, I didn't know I was going to love uh, adventure racing um, <laughs> through the through the back jungles of of nowhere Fiji until I did it, right? Yeah. And, and everyone's just like, oh, I, I need to know right now what my passion is. And I'm like, you're 22 years old. Why don't you go have life experience? And to, the, the people are going to hate me for this too. The number one rule. This is the number one rule when you're about to go find a journey and passion. And you may agree or disagree. I don't care again. Um, don't quit your damn day job. Like. Yeah. If you're like mentally prepared to be broke and you want to go backpack around Europe and whatnot, great, quit your day job. But if you're trying to like, like if you think for one second you're going to quit your day job, create a blog and go online and be able to pay your bills, stop it right now. Like it's just don't quit your day job. You you chase that dream, midnight oil, burning the candle at both ends. And that's where your advice is brilliant. Like write down the reasons why, what you're willing to sacrifice, all that stuff, because you're going to, you quit your job and then you go do that. And now you don't, now, now you, it, it's going to take 10 years online space to do, unless you're so exceptional and are so diverse. But most people that are diverse and exceptional, they, they, it just happened for them because they're not trying to create a brand. They're not trying to create an income. Like they just do it. They live it. And it's their passion. And you can sense that. Like you, you get that sense of realism for people. Dude, I didn't set out to start a, a brand with a logo and have merchant. I mean, that's all crap. I didn't, none of that happened. Um, I set out to raise money for charity and push my, my mental and physical limits. Um, I, I, I always had a day job. I've always done the things I needed to do to put the food on the table. And I literally chased life and dreams and passions outside of that window. Now, yeah, I have crossed a threshold now where I was able to quit, quote unquote, a corporate job because this is what I get to do now. I get to work for my home and, and create content and, and do all that other kind of stuff and do coaching and whatnot. And we can do it now successfully. 
but it took over a decade, right? I couldn't have survived mm-hmm. otherwise. But people don't, they don't see that. They see, they see the headline. They see your headline. They see my headline. They see Ross Edgley's headline. They see all these guys, David Goggins' headline. But they don't, they don't realize that it wasn't an overnight success. They got overnight recognition for an accomplishment that they did, but literally the groundwork and the sacrifice and the time all leading up to that tipping point was is something that 99% of people aren't willing to do or understand. Yeah, I think it's that potentially they just don't see it. And I think there is, perhaps there's a responsibility on people like yourself or a Colin O'Brady or now even a Nick Butter or, you know, maybe myself at times to maybe share that part, um, to kind of give a lens back to where you were at the beginning of your journey when you were wrestling um, your job, your day job that was giving income to be able to support the food that's on the table for your family and starting to blueprint out this idea of how you're going to do something else and how you saw it as a side hustle but because you were compelled and driven to do it, not because you thought that was going to be the entirety of the next decade of your future. Um, maybe there is a responsibility with us to take more ownership in responsibly sharing that. Well, and I, I, I one, I agree with you 100%, but two, I, I love the Macklemore song with the good old days where he was like city to city doing dive bands, um, bars, and, and this and that, and f- trying to figure out where the next gig is going to come from. Hustle training, uh, waking up at whatever. And just that whole thing of like chasing a dream that's loaded with, and now loaded with passion. And don't get me wrong. I still have passion and everything, but it's just like, I, I I miss, I miss being on the 50. I miss the lead up to the Mm -hmm. 50. I miss that struggle through the world. I mean, I miss all of it. And, and everybody's like in this insane, ridiculous hurry to get to this moment. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, I, I miss I miss the grind. I miss the, the hard work. I miss the, all that other stuff that led to this moment, right? And, and I think that's the beauty of that Macklemore song is like, look, it's, you, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to miss the good old days. And yeah. it's so cliche about enjoy the journey and it's the process and the people you meet along the way. I'm on the other side of the journey and the process um, of that part of my life. And I will attest, man, enjoy that journey. You're going to blink. I'll relate it to my kids. I mean, I've got four teenage girls right now. And in, I I remember holding my oldest daughter when she was born um, 17 years ago. And I've, I've blinked and man, because we had them so close one by one, they're going to go out of the house. And they're going to start their lives, and, and I hope to maintain a, a brilliant relationship with them, and hopefully keep them close. But I, I got to let them go into the world, and and it's a, it's the perfect example of enjoying the process because before you know it, you're going to be in the next chapter, and you'll have missed everything in this moment. And it's it's true. This Kobe Bryant, live every moment because we have no idea when something's going to be taken away. How how quickly were all of our freedoms taken away with with COVID nineteen? Um, it's just a a matter about uh, appreciating, um, every moment. I mean, the the whole racial thing that's happening right now. I mean, he, he didn't know his life was going to end that day. And was he living every moment to that, to that point that led up to a tragedy? Um, we, we just truly don't know when it's our time and when it's our time, we got to go. And, and if you've missed the, the journey, always looking ahead, trying to get to what you think is the, the pinnacle or the finish line, um, 
man, you're you're really missing out on a, the major point of what's going on. How have you gone about being in the moment, particularly when sometimes, I mean, in the moment is made of a different things. Sometimes it's of the mundane. Sometimes it's of the pain and the suffering. And sometimes, you know, it's of the success. How, what strategies have you used to be in that actual moment? Yeah, I think it's just being conscious and aware of it. And, and when you catch yourself, um, just being brought right back to being present. And so I, I think it's just a matter of consciousness and being aware of it and then, and then just making it a conscious effort. I think one of the reasons we had such an unbelievably fun time in, in the Eco Challenge in Fiji, and I'm, we're not allowed to say anything for obvious reasons, but, but I think it was, it was our ability to stay present. And, and you, you said it earlier in this podcast, the, one of the hard things about Eco Challenge is, you know, you get a set of maps and until you get the set of maps, you don't, you don't know what the next series of events is going to be. I mean, this is an adventure race and they kind of, there's a lot of unknowns. And if you don't have the ability to stay present and you start to think ahead of what might be, then you really start getting into, into trouble. And so again, it's this, this whole COVID situation. I mean, the, nothing could be more relevant than right now everybody not everybody but you take a look around and people are living in absolute fear-based and it's because they're focusing on what hasn't happened yet and they're not focusing on what's right in front of them and the things that they can control and that's Mm -hmm. the biggest thing i think if if consciously you say okay what what is what is it about this moment that i can control and what are the elements in a self-audit about the situation that I can't control, removing all of that off the table and then really focusing on just the elements that you can control. What's going to move the needle right now? I literally have a notebook in front of me that has 50 different to-dos that I have to get through. It's four pages. But all I do is I look at that every single day and I pull, I read the whole thing and I'm like, okay, what are the most the three most important things on that. And I move it over to a smaller piece of paper. Now my only focus, I shelf it. The, that book is yeah. now off my, out of my, out of my sight. And I'm, I'm only worried about those three things on this piece of paper. And, and that's, that's today's goal is to get through those things because I've isolated them as the three most important things from my master list, which if I, I mean, even right now, I just got like, punched in the face with anxiety because I'm like, that's four pages of to-dos, like no chance am I going to get through that. But, because that's what that's what shuts people down. And this is probably a huge tangent, but that's what shuts people down is anxiety and fear. And you look at the enormity of what you have in front of you. And that's, to be honest with you, that's how you accomplish massive big things is you, you have the massive goal, you reverse engineer it, and then you pull out the most important things in that moment. And that, that's how you achieve success. That's how you get over the, the mountain is just like head down, focus on the very few things right in front of me, the things you can control. That should be the biggest takeaway is like, what can you control in your life and what what are the the major things that that move the needle that are within your ability to control? I think that's incredibly relevant because you you certainly are someone who's shown what happens when you single minded focus for a period. And I, I don't think that you clearly aren't someone that does it all the time um, because, you know, you've shown that you can be in 50 different places, not even talking about the expedition, but you can be in a lot of different things, speaking, you know, traveling, family time, other races. But when you put on the 50-50-50, you were entirely with it and the team that you brought together decided to entirely be with it. And 
I think that present capacity was in was what made it happen and can we go to a bit of the nuts and bolts of it because you know a lot of people they either know you for that or they've you know maybe they've watched your documentary and you've been very generous and have given me a link to share in the show notes which is uh, a free download to watch 50 50 50 which I have seen and I have like a zillion questions on it because <laughs> it was it was pretty brutal like I'm not gonna sugarcoat it uh, and I don't think you should glamorize these projects um physically it looked excruciating in moments um other times it was quite beautiful to watch the fluidity of your of your movement but I would say like it looked like you were like moment to moment like it was I didn't think at one point watching that documentary and maybe that's how the documentary played out but I didn't feel like it was certain at any point that you were going to get to the finishing line yeah, what 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 a journey! I mean, five years ago. So, just real quick, the the fifty that we've been talking about this whole time, the fifty is is fifty full Ironmans in fifty consecutive days, one in each of the fifty United States, and an Ironman two point four mile swim, one hundred twelve mile bike ride, twenty six point two mile marathon run, and so we we just took our family out on a journey, and and everybody said it was impossible, couldn't be done, um, and. And, you know, you, you nailed it. We had, there was so much chaos and so much that we couldn't control and so many outside influences and criticism and critiques and mm-hmm. negativity. And uh, I mean, the, the, the documentary does a great job of highlighting the negative that, that happened in that storyline. And we wanted to tell that story there. And the, we have a book called Redefine Impossible. And it, it showcases a lot of the beauty and the positivity and everything that happened. So they're very different. Um, but you're right. I had to be very present in every moment, um, especially when things were at the, the peak of, of difficulty. I mean, there, there's a stretch there where you know, 16 through 20 was, was probably the hardest stretch because your mind and body haven't come into, into alignment yet. You're still freaking, your body's still freaking out. It, it, it didn't believe you that you, you know, your mind was saying, no, we're, we're doing 50 Ironmans. And it takes a while for those, every department to, to sync up and get on the same page. And there's just freak out and, and adaptation. And that, that's why most people fail is because they're not willing to push through the, the hardest parts to where your body then adapts. And this is going to sound crazy, but to where an Ironman a day becomes routine and craved. Um, and, and then we got to that point. I mean, you, you take all the statistical data, my fastest of the 50 were my last 20 Ironmans. Really? And, and there's no rhyme to reason for that other than the mind and the body started to get on the same page and we got systems in place and we were started to remove chaos. And the biggest thing was we started to become so very hyper vigilant on the present and nothing else mattered except for the very next step. And as soon as I realized the next step wasn't going to kill me and mm-hmm. I had control over that moment, that's when everything changed. And so it's just just a beautiful thing to realize that. I think people get so confused about adaption. Like I can hear it theoretically from someone like you who said it took to, you know, 20 plus Ironmans to start to physically and mentally adapt to what your body was required to do. And I think, and I can say that as well, it took me into maybe like 20 days into running across India until I started and I went through serious pain to then kind of move through it and my body became stronger. So I've been trying to think of what's a, what's an analogy that people can kind of relate to and, you know, I'm a mum and, you know, when you're 
your kids are toddler. I'm going to take you all the way back to toddler days, two to three, and all of a sudden your kid's not sleeping well during the night. And you've got to go through like, you know, maybe one week, two weeks of trying to create that routine for your child to understand at a certain time of night, they're going to go through having the bath, eating the food, reading the book and going to bed and they get out of the bed and then you've got to go back and tell them to go back to bed. And it's like two weeks of real pain (laughs) trying to get them to adapt to that routine that bedtime means bed. And I think that's the best example that I can give for people who can't conceptualize getting through you know 25 Ironmans back to back and that's it's exactly the same thing it's exactly the same thing we have to go through a period of discomfort unease struggle in order to physiologically understand that this is what's meant to happen now yeah so it's a great analogy and I've got five kids and we had to go through that every single time uh, I'm assuming you, a lot of your listeners are athletes, and yep. in order to successfully train for something, you have to push the limits uh, in training, and then right right on that brink, you've got to bring it back and recover and adapt, right? So my, my personal coaching philosophy is how high can you soar, S-O-A-R, stress, optimize, adapt, and recover. Stress mm-hmm. your body in an, in an optimized environment it will adapt through recovery. And um, that's the whole process of, of making the body adapt and evolve, right? So when you get onto a consecutive day challenge, whether it's running across India or 50 consecutive Ironmans or whatnot, you don't have the opportunity for the recovery. But if you continue to push your body, it says the mind's an amazing thing, and so is the body. But everybody quits at the peak of discomfort because they can't understand that there's a tipping point and it gets better after the adaptation phase, right? Everybody is only focused on the stress phase and what that feels like. And they, in their minds, the way that the mind works, it says, if I continue to do this, this pain and discomfort is only going to get worse. And instead of having the knowledge that at a certain point in time, the body's going to adapt and get stronger to where this once difficult task is now easier to achieve because it's now the new normal. But everybody quits in that discomfort pain thing because conceptually in their minds, they're thinking it can't get better because I'm going to continue to put the workload on it. But the, the way the mind and the body worked is they adapt. But nobody gets through the adaptation phase to where the body is now stronger because the pain cycle and the discomfort is so great. So what do you say? Like, let's help her by it even further. So you're in the adaption phase. It's the pain cycle. What are you telling yourself in that time? And like, try and take yourself back to 50-50-50. Like, go to some of those brutal moments when you fell off your bike where you had like this like horrible, like someone told you you potentially tore a muscle uh, on your upper leg. What are you telling yourself in this moment? Yeah, so I, I'll say this. So in a big question we always get, and I'm sure you do too, is how do you become more mentally tough? And it's only through experiences that you can become you know, sharpen that mental toughness. And so you have to, you don't wake up one day instantly mentally tough. You don't wake up one day and have massive endurance. You don't wake up one day and can deadlift 500 pounds. Like that is a, that's a process that you have to go through. 
and um, you you have that's why you have to give any big goal the respect that it deserves, and then you have to push the envelope in training and teach your body that you're going to push the envelope, and and you you basically have to con- let your body know who's in command and who's in control. And this takes time because everybody's body is going to be a little bit different and you have to know the difference between discomfort and long-term damage or injury. So when I was in training for the 50, we would really push the envelope and get right to the edge of possibly injury. But when something would come about, I would say, okay, we're going to continue with training. But we're going to address the issue while we're training through... Uh, massage and scraping and acupuncture and whatnot. And my body got to learn that just because it was having a difficult moment didn't mean I wasn't going to continue to push the envelope. And so my body started to learn, okay, he's not going to stop doing what he's doing. I have to figure out how to adapt and evolve so that he can continue on the agenda that he has in the mind because the mind is so powerful. And the body will adapt, but that's the thing is people don't allow it to adapt. So one of the things that, that you have to do before you get to the moment where you need to do it is you have to do it in training. And so I had to condition my body and let it know, hey, look, you've got a small case of planners right now. And everybody says, okay, put your foot up, take the time off, really stretch it out. Don't put any tension on it. And I'm like, no, I'm going to teach my body that we're still going to go do 80 miles today. And then we're going to go up that mountain and put a lot of stress on the foot. So it has to adapt. And then when I get back, I'm going to give you a lot of love, a lot of attention. I'm going to do things that it needs. But if I was to condition my body and get it trained to be like, okay, as soon as I give him a signal and a sign, he's going to, he's going to let me take it easy. And I've taught it over time. No, we adapt and we evolve when we get stronger. And so now it does it quicker. And I can get through those difficult moments. And again, it goes all the way back to being present. And, and in each moment, controlling what you can control, um, and that's how you get through those difficult moments and realizing this isn't going to last forever and my body will adapt. I, I don't know exactly how long, but I know what it will. And we had great days and we had terrible days. But what I did learn is I never had two bad days in a row. And oh, so really? I actually, so I actually celebrated a really difficult, challenging day because I was like, dude, tomorrow's going to be freaking awesome because my body, <laughs> you know, so I, I, I loved it when I had a bad day because I was like, okay, at least I'm going to have two more good days, right? And there's always going to be that, that little ray of sunshine. You got to look for it and you got to try to find it. Little sunshine through the, through the dark clouds. And you just got to search for those moments and really absorb them and focus on those, right? And that's how you get through being present and really recognizing the moments when they're happening. And for me, when it gets dark, you have to learn how to have gratitude and appreciation. Those are the two things that are going to pull you out of anything. And I don't care who you are or where you're from or whatever your situation is. There's a moment in your entire life where you were grateful, where you were happy, where you had satisfaction, and you can pull on that. And if, and if you don't have any of those moments in your life, you shouldn't be doing any grand challenges anyway because you're not at a space where you can, you can do that. You have other real-life challenges that you're dealing with, right? And so there's a time and an opportunity for everything. But ultimately, that's how you get through those dark moments bef- while you're adapting is where you put your focus and attention and taking from the knowledge that you had prior to that moment so that you can draw upon it and get through it the biggest thing that people need to take away is you can't come up with superhero Herculean strength in the moment. It's very, 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 very rare. That comes from years of experience 
and and I'll say this: um, we'll we'll go all the way back to Fiji, and you'll mm-hmm. you'll resonate with this. And I don't know if I'm even allowed to, to say as much as I'm going to say, but there was there was Fiji there was two Fijian teams, right? Yes. And yep. and they got they got led into the race because they were the host country. These guys had no equipment. These guys had no training camps. These guys had no experience. They had no coaches. They were just there. And now I'm not going to say how well they did or if they finished or whatnot, but they did. I'll just say they did this. They did really well. And after the race, I know a lot of the athletes got together and we were like, how the heck did they even do that good? Right? How did they do as well as they did? And the reality is, and the only thing I could come up with is those guys were born in an environment where grittiness and toughness was a necessity. They looked at a task at hand and they just said, oh, this is what it is and I have to figure out how to do it and I'll adapt as I go through it. Where, I'll, spoiler alert, one of the first teams to call it quits was an American team. And it's because we're soft and we don't have opportunities and past experiences to pull upon. When we get into a difficult situation, we call for mom. Like, where's mom? And, you know, I'm in a difficult situation. And the Fijian teams didn't have that. They just, they just, it's not part of who they are. They, they have grittiness out of necessity. And I think it was just such a beautiful thing for me to watch and witness as these guys just like kept moving along. Um, they with a freaking smile on their face. With smile a smile on their, their face. Smile on their faces. <laughs> they were one of the happiest teams, two, two happiest teams out there. And I, it was just so much fun every time we got to cross them or I got an update from what was going on in the race and whatnot, that they were just still in the grind. Um, just one of the be- most beautiful lessons that I got to learn about your experience in life in the moment that you are has everything to do in your experience that led up to that. And, and through all of my journeys and everything, man, I don't try to change someone's opinion. I don't try to like put my opinion on you because you, you just can't. Everybody has gone through life experiencing their experiences, their mm-hmm. life through their eyes. And it's very, very different. I mean, I've sat in, in scenarios where two people, I was in the room, two people had the same experience, talked to them separately, and they described their experience to me. And they were so different. And I was like, how's that possible? We were all in the same room and had the same experience. How was it so different for both of you? Um, but that's the way life is, right? And you, you just have to accept that people have a different perception, different perspective, and to allow them to have their journey. Now, we hope that everybody is teachable and can always be on a path of seeking knowledge and different experiences and 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 be open to different opinions and whatnot. But it was just very interesting in Fiji to watch the the massive differences between people that had grittiness and toughness before going into the Fiji challenge and then ones that were trying to figure it out while in Fiji. And the ones that were trying to figure it out while they're in Fiji, it just didn't work. Oh, and I think you can perceive that you have grittiness but if you haven't tested it out or you haven't been put into an experience that really stretches you you don't actually know the resolve of your grittiness i Um, I love the theoretical of it yeah i love when someone says oh i could do the 50 if i had the time and the money i was like oh okay go go do it man i'll i'll be your i'll be your number one fan like you just don't know you can do something until you do it and, and, and I, lo- I love watching big challenges. I love watching people discover that about them. I tell people, look, fail as much as you can in training so that when you get to the actual test, you know you at least have the guts and the grittiness and the whatever to, to, to survive and get through and bounce back and, and recover from those moments that are going to be hell. hell. Well, look, let's talk about the different layers of hell that you kind of went through because leading into the project, 
pretty much everyone said you couldn't do it. Um, people who had no exposure to Iron Man said you couldn't do it because they couldn't conceive it. People who did have exposure to Iron Man said you couldn't do it because they just didn't think it was possible because they couldn't imagine themselves being able to do it with the knowledge that they had of the sport. Then you start the project and people are critiquing every element of what you did and writing messages and tagging you in it and putting it all over your social media. So you were definitely absorbing a high degree of negativity and criticism throughout a project where you're already kind of at mental and physical capacity. Like take me through what that was like and how you actually process that. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting for me now looking on the outside in and most of that was, again, we just talked about perception and perspective and I was the only one that had the knowledge of what 30 Ironmans in a year felt like. So I was the only one that could conceptualize maybe what 50 consecutive was. And I, we still went into that massively naive about what it would feel like and what it took. And, and even, even now having been through it and made the mistakes that we made and whatnot, it's so hard to say what an individual would do in any of those situations until you've been there. And, and mm-hmm. that's probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is, man, I am so careful not to judge someone's decision in any situation because I'm not in that shoes and I don't have the experience or knowledge that they are at to make that decision. And again, on the a complete flip side of that coin, um, we're all humans and we're, we all make mistakes. And if something has never been done before, um, I, I just, I'm entertained now at the, you know, looking back and some of the criticism and, and opinions and comments that, that were dealt and, and shoved down our throats um, is, is entertaining. Um, well, so what was some of them? Uh, I mean, the, the biggest, the biggest one is elliptic gate, um, which I, which I called it that. Um, and What's it called? Cool? What do you call it? Elliptigate. <laughs> so it's the uh, it was the the moment. So he, I'll, I'll try to tell the story as quick as I can. Um, we during training and everything, when our volume got really high, we would simulate running on elliptical, um, and yep. we would do training sessions on there, and it minimized the impact of the body, but we would match the movement and the heart rate and the effort of of actual running, and it's a great training tool. Well, on day eighteen, I had crashed on my bike. Um, my hip had swelled up instantly. I had road rash everywhere. And then on day 19 in Mississippi, um, torrential downpours, massive weather warnings. We had done the swim, done the bike. We were more than halfway through the run. And I, I just called my coach and I'm like, Hey, uh, I, I want to fight to live, um, the back half of this challenge or the back two thirds of this challenge. We want to raise the money for charity and, and impact the, the childhood obesity epidemic. What do you think if I, if I jumped on the elliptical and just finished off the couple miles today and he was like, Oh man, that's a great idea. We did it in training, this and that will give your body a chance to recover. Well, I, I did that and social media went bonkers. Um, and at the time we didn't even realize it. And I, I owned it immediately. I said, that was a, that was a mistake. I apologize. Um, but we're going to continue. And I, uh, because the goal of this project is to raise money for charity and to see what's possible, mind, body, and spirit. And, and it was interesting. I, you know, the bullies came out and attacked us and, and criticized us and crucified us for decisions that they couldn't even come close to comprehending why we did it. Now there, part of me says that was the right decision and I'd make it again uh, because 
Um, it was in the moment of the decision we made. Could have I run those miles? Absolutely. Would it have been, did it impact the, the event? Only people's perception of it. Um, physically and mentally, it was probably more of a drain on me because if anybody's done any miles on elliptical, it sucks. Your feet fall asleep and, and the mental grind of it. And then the emotional abuse that we took afterwards was staggering. But here's the point. Here's the point. I looked back on it and I totaled up all the miles that we did. We did 7,030 miles, I think, that over those 50 days to, to cover the 50 Ironmans. And I took the, the very few miles that we spent on the elliptical um, on that part of that one day, right? And it represented 0.24% of the miles that we covered on that journey. 0.24%. So to put that in another, in another way, 99.76% of the time we executed with perfection. And man, we, we got, and you'll see, you'll see in the documentary, we've never hidden it. We're very vocal about it. We tell the story. Yeah, you're, you're uh, very, I want to put that out there. It's very, I, a lot of people would create a documentary and it would create the reality of what they wanted people to perceive the experience yeah. to be. And I, I do admire, and I, a part of me was like, I wonder if James was a part of the documentary or is this just the filmmakers going, we want to show the drama, but you were very much connected to the narrative, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, 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 it's a big part of the book as well, because we, yeah. because here, here's the important, here's the biggest lesson. And it took me a while to get there because I, I put so much emphasis on this 0.24% and, and does it discredit it or does it asterisk it or does it define who I am? And, and ultimately, um, I, I talk about this on stage. It's one of the, the, the big talking points that I talk about, and it's this. Don't allow somebody else's opinion of 0.24% of your journey derail you from what you're trying to accomplish. And that's a reality with social media and bullying and everything that's going on is, is people listen to the chatter, the negative, the smallest voice and they, they give it a magnifying glass and a mic and a, and a megaphone, and they put all of their focus and attention on it. And I'll say it again. Don't let someone else's opinion of 0.24% of your journey stop you from doing it. So had I listened on that day when everybody said, you're a complete failure, you this is pointless to continue, you're a loser, you need to stop immediately. Um I wouldn't have gone on to speak in 48 countries literally to, I mean, I've spoken at Visa, Nike, Audi, uh, Johnson and Johnson, Procter and Gamble, Dell, uh, you name it. The Minnesota Vikings, NFL teams, major league teams. I would have never had that opportunity to try to impact literally hundreds of thousands of people. And our story resonates with people because it's about, it's about family. It's about, grit it's about toughness it's about showing up it's about believing in yourself and who you are um taking chances taking risks it's 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 a human story um and we resonate with audiences around the world had i listened on that day to someone else's opinion i would have never had that opportunity i can't even i can't even quantify the amount of messages that we've gotten after they've seen the documentary or read the book or the stage presentation or whatever it is where they said hey you don't know me that's the way it always starts um, I was too embarrassed a year ago when I heard you, but since then, I have overcome alcoholism or drug abuse, or I've left an abusive relationship and all these things. I can't describe to you that feeling, that emotion, when you you receive a message like that that is so 
been so impactful on somebody's life and had i had i quit and listened to someone else's opinion none of that would have happened and there's one message that i want to get out to people today that are listening to this it's dude don't give any value any energy any thought to someone else's opinion of your journey if you're doing something to the best of your ability with uh, full integrity with all of that then then not not nothing else matters nobody's opinion of you when I, if you believe in you and if you have your circle around you that believes in you and you're doing everything to the highest of your ability with full integrity that's all that, that's all that matters i, I think I mean, there's a lot of merit in that because the documentary does not make you seem perfect. In fact, I feel like the documentary definitely shows flaws, which I think is compelling and it um, is relatable. And I think in some of these films, they show these like Herculean efforts, which obviously they are, they're monumental feats of endurance, but they are completed by people who are human, who are essentially just like the person standing next to them to the person standing next to them. They're just choosing to put themselves in a different arena. And I think because you had a, let's say it's a setback where you didn't complete you know, being on an elliptical, you know, it's not the same as running. Uh, you made a choice that maybe wasn't completely 100% integrity with the structure of how you thought it was going to look. But you made a decision in the moment and, you know, it's how you move forward from that decision, which is actually far more defining than the decision to do that in that moment. Um, and we're not always going to make the perfect decision, but I think it's our response to it, which is a lot more empowering for people to see. And you own it, um, you know, you apologise for it in the moment, but the reality is that is for me the problem with the bloody records. When you do a world record or you say, I'm going to try and be the quickest or whatever it is, it's almost like you're opening these floodgates for scrutiny, often from people who would never even dare to try something like that. And, you know, I spoke to Nick Butter about it and I was like, you know, what do you feel about the whole record situation? Because I just feel like you're almost placing yourself on this uphill battle for people to wanting to nitpick on the smallest things that almost takes it away from this journey of like personal discovery that you're trying to experience. Like, how do you feel about the record concept now? Yeah, full full circle. The reason you do these is for the personal adventure, the the testing your limits, the mind and the body. Um, I, dude, I've I've worked with Guinness enough. They're a complete joke. Um, the the just their guidelines and parameters, and they're just literally the hardest company to work with on the planet. And at the end of the day, I have a piece of paper on my wall, and yeah. and it, it means it means zero to me. I I would happily go throw that in a bonfire in my backyard right now, because I don't care about that. It literally is about the people, the experiences, the change, the. Did the journey? I mean, we, we're beating a dead horse with that, but it's just so true, and it's hard to see from whatever perspective you're on. I mean, I'm working, I'm coaching a girl right now who's who's going to do seven Ironmans in seven days through the seven um, United Emirates, and um, she's just really fighting with with Guinness. And I was like, look, forget Guinness. Like, who cares? Why are you doing this? And we we basically broke it mm -hmm. down to where she's doing it for the to f to see if she can. And I said, what is the what's the world record going to do for you? She's like, well, yeah. well, is it going to change the experience that you're having? And she was like, well, no, not at all. And so, 
there's just so many hoops and I don't know that the energy is worth it. Um, and, and to be honest with you, the, the 50 is not an official Guinness world record because, um, there, there was just no category for it. And Guinness was so hard to work with, but I, I can't control the narrative. And even with the mistakes that we made, the general populace says, this is a Guinness world record. Like until somebody does it better, that that's it. Mm-hmm. Like you got it, like that, you own that. Um, and, and, and to me, none of that matters. What matters to me is the impact that we've been able to have the messages that I received, the impact that we're having, um, the growth that our family gets to have and experience and, that that's truly that's truly what it's about i literally am looking at a piece of two two pieces of paper that says guinness world record mm-hmm. um and i i really don't care about them yeah it's refreshing to hear that now i want to look at the family because you took your very young family across the united states whilst you were doing something for up to 14 like were you doing them between 12 to 14 hours each yep iron man yep yeah, 12 to 14 hours, which is, you know, a very conservative pace for you to do an Ironman, but exactly the right type of a pace for you in order for you to sustain the 50 days. Yep. Um, do you think that you could have done an adventure like that with the entire family if they were older? Or do you think that was the right point of their age to do something like that? That's a great question. Um, the dynamics of it would have changed. Uh, the ages that they were, uh, you know, five and a half to, to 12, um, really only my 12 and 11 year old could help in any capacity. Other than that, they became a lot of work for Sunny and she wanted them to have an unbelievable summer experience. And if you've read the documentary, I mean, watch the documentary, read the book, you realize that Sunny had to jump in and save this project because our project manager kind of didn't it's one of those things you don't know how you're going to handle fatigue and chaos until you're in the midst of fatigue and chaos. And he didn't handle it very well. And Sonny had to step in and she ultimately saved the project. But at the same time, she was like, I have responsibilities, kids to give them a summer. They'll never forget. And not, you know, the, the whole project doesn't happen without Sonny stepping in and also being very conscious that no, these kids get to have an experience this summer and they got to do something really cool every single day in every state. And what was one of the most amazing parts was the ambassadors that volunteered their time and helped us out in every single state were like, okay, we're here. We've got a team right here. They're going to take your kids. They're going to show them this. They're going to show them that. Here's your food. This is what mm-hmm. we're going to do for you today. We've got a team for you here. And as we started to gain momentum across the country, just the unifying nature of the, the different states and the, the state before was talk. I mean, the state that we were headed to was talking to the ambassador from the state before and finding out what our needs were and how what are the kids like and they they would show up with little gift baskets and i mean it was just an unbelievable experience to have you know just be taken under the the care of the endurance community and they were like okay we know you've got kids we know you need food because we crashed the motorhome we hit a deer in the middle of the night it took out the our our ability to for the freezer to work and the air conditioning and then this that and the other and so we were at the mercy of what anybody would bring us and so you talk about like logistical chaos and the unknown and and at the same time trying to create a positive experience for the kids and uh, all of it. I mean, that that's, I, I went on a ride the other day with Aaron, the wingman, and, and we just had a conversation. It was like, huh, you know, we kind of laugh and joke and chuckle. It's like, huh, nobody, very few people ever know what that fully took. All of the nuances and, and positives and negatives and everything that went into doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think doing it now with the kids would be a different experience. They, could, they would all have the ability to help. I mean, my youngest would be almost the age of my oldest at the time. 
and different roles would take place. Um, expectations would be different. Um, it, it would just be very different. Um, but I, I love that they were the age that they were at and they were able to do the activities that they were able to do and be entertained and see the country the way that they got to see it. They were small enough that they all shared a bed in the motor home and had that ex- and had that experience. One of my favorite pictures from the whole journey is yeah. um, the one that is, that is more common. But the second one is there's a, my wife captured a picture where it was just all of their feet in a line and dirty feet, dirty, dirty feet from playing all day and just, just five sets of feet all sticking out the end of the covers. Um, and they, they literally had a blast. I mean, it wasn't until like day, literally day 45 when we started to get, um, closer to home because we, we finished in Utah and it was about day 45, day 46 where friends and stuff were, we were close enough that they'd come out and start to support us. And my, my youngest, my five and six year old were, were like, huh, are we, go- are we going home? Cause they started to recognize things now. And they, they were having so much fun that they had forgotten that we were on the road having this adventure. And then as soon as they started to get reminded of home, they were like, oh yeah, we're ready to go home now. Like it's been it's been seven weeks, right? And so it was just, they, they had a blast. Um, it, it's actually um, a little bit sad. My two youngest will ask them, hey, do you remember this experience or this and that? And then they'll, they'll say no. And so my oldest girls remember almost everything. Um, but the younger kids, they, they, they don't. So in that aspect, it would have been really cool for them to be a little bit older. But we do have the documentary and all the pictures and everything that they get to see and re-experience. And it's obviously been a huge piece of our lives um, and an ongoing conversation for a long time. But yeah, I mean, it just would have been a different experience. Um, but I'll never do these experiences and these challenges without my family. I mean, even as they age, they, I want them to be involved in it even in some capacity. Do you have some thoughts of, I mean, I know the world is a little bit different with COVID right now, but I have seen you training um, what looks a little bit more than normal. Um, are you prepping some projects? Yeah, we, uh, you're, you're very astute. <laughs> We've, uh, <laughs> I've, definitely, I've definitely upped my volume. Um, I, had uh, to, I had to take that three and four years off to where I could just focus on, you know, getting that stability back and really focusing on the business and, and giving back. And, and, and to be honest with you, I needed a massive mental and physical break. And I didn't think after the 50, I'd get to the point where I wanted to do something. Um, at some point in time, you have to be satisfied with what you've done and how you've done it. Um, and what's next always doesn't have to be in the same category. Um, yeah. and, and, and what ne- what was next for me was learning the uh, how to be on stage and learning how to um, interact with people and cause I, I'm, I'm naturally a homebody and, and I like to keep to myself and most endurance athletes are because we're okay with those long, um, so, you know, training in solitude and things like that. So for me to go out and just be that center of attention at events and that kind of thing was, was what's next for me. That was how I was challenging myself. That's what I was trying to craft. And I, I finally got to the point where mentally I was recovered and physically I was, I was at a point where I could start to enjoy the training again. And so, yes, we, we have, I'm getting ready to, for early next season, um, try to break the, Again, we just talked about world records, but try to break the world record for the fastest Ironmans through six continents, um, not including not including Antarctica because we couldn't get approval through Guinness. Stupid, because okay. you, can, you can't you can't swim you can't swim anywhere yeah. in Antarctica um, successfully, um, and so we'll we'll, yeah. we'll we'll break the 
the world record for the fastest Ironmans through six continents. We're going to try to do it in six days. Um, oh. Then uh, I, I just got invited to do two big challenges. Um, this whole endurance thing kind of started with the Epic Five in Hawaii, and Rich Roll kind of pioneered that. And um, this is the the anniversary of that race, and so they're allowing ten athletes to do what's called the Epic Deca, which is ten. <laughs> 10 in a row on, on multiple different islands over there um, in conjunction with the Epic Five. Just talked to the race director. I'm planning on doing that next year. Um, I just got exci- uh, invited onto a very exciting team to do um, the RAM, which is Race Across America, which is a yes. bike race from coast to coast. Yeah, I totally know it. So we're going to try to to go um, and win the, the co-ed team category of that. Um, I've... I've, I'm in October. I'm going to tackle Uberman in, in in a relay, and we're going to try to break the course record for that. And Uberman is a swim from Catalina Island to Long Beach, bike 400 miles, and then run the Badwater course. Um, and I'm going to do the bike leg. Um, so as you can see, we've got a lot on the table. Um, just just a lot of really cool stuff that that we're we're doing all to raise money for charity to push my mind and my body take down a couple world records for fun um all of it is training for something i will not announce but i will allude to it back half of 2021 tune into our social media iron cowboy james if the first project i did for the 50 was called redefine impossible i'm going to defy logic is this the one that we texted about i don't know did i tell you about it I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I feel like I'm on the inner loop. I'm there just going to keep that to myself in the A side. <laughs> and, I, and on that journey, I expect to see your pretty little face here in Utah. Don't worry. I'll be there. I mean, also, I'll be there. Uh, where are you going to do the um, Iron Man? Like, are you going to do it in Australia when you yeah, do the we're actually, each we're actually, continent? It's actually going to finish in Australia. And so um, let, let's talk about that offline and, and uh, kind of yep. pick your brain and let's let's bring the community yep. together and make that a kind of a big special day. I connect with you quite a bit because similarly we are both dreamers and we get excited um, and we kind of put the feelers out and we start to create these things, you know, from the nothing to something, which I've always said is like my greatest skill set and I think it's probably one of yours too. Do you think all of those will really happen? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, obviously, I have, I have moments. I mean, I did a four-hour training ride this morning or three and a half hours, and I, it had some elevation gain to it, only because I'm, I've got a little personal challenge. There's the, the website called Everestine, and it's, yeah. it's if you can tackle one hill and do it 29,000 feet. There's a hill that's close to my house. It's four miles. In like six weeks, we're going to try to Everest it. We've got to go up at 18 times. I did it two times this morning, came home, came home and crawled into my closet and in the fetal position and, and just like started to cry and took a, took a quick nap to, to get ready for this podcast. But I, I mean, you, I'm happy that you took yourself to an altered state before this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you, you have moments, you have moments like that and you're like, uh, man, I, I just, I don't, I don't know how everything I have planned is going to be possible. I'm more terrified of the difficulty of the training to get ready for what we're doing than the actual activities itself. The actual activities to me are victory laps and the celebration of the hard work that I did when nobody was watching. I mean, do you know that Utah is my favorite state in the United States? Well, you can come stay at my house. (laughs) <laughs> thank you you're like i'm not inviting everyone to stay at my house no, that wasn't an open invite but for you, that's, you're okay. 
you know, I I went um, when I was 18, I went to the States and I worked in a um, boarding school in Virginia, but then I went backpacking for four months That's in right. the middle of, or three months in the middle of the year and I went to I think like 30 states in the United States and cool. and I like slept under the stars just on a, you know, sleeping bag and Utah like took my breath away. It's the most incredibly vibrant state with the colours and the terrain and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan, so that race sounds incredible. Every, everyone I've spoken to who knows about you talks about your mind and talks about the monumental feat that you've done, and I like that it's gone into different directions. You know, you've got the coaching side of it, you've got the speaking side, you've got the book, you've got the documentary, you're a race director now, you've got apparel. There's a lot of stuff you're doing, yeah. which means you probably have created a pretty epic team. And when I watched um, your documentary, I couldn't help but think of Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> you know how he has his entourage? Yes. And I was thinking of your wingmen as, you know, they're almost like an extension of you and they've got their own characters and they bring different dimensions and there's a lot of implicit trust um, between, you know, the three of you. Are they a part of your team or have you started to create, um, is your team kind of expanded from that now? Yeah, it's expanded from that, um, but they, they're still the absolute core of it. Um, it. It's they're just they're brothers. They're they're blood to me now. Um, I couldn't have done it without them. Uh, Aaron uh, Aaron's one of the coaches on our team. Um, does a lot of stuff for me. He's my number one training partner. He was with me in Fiji for that experience. Mm -hmm. um, Casey is a, a race director. Um, he's still a full time uh, school teacher and 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 does a lot of work there, um, but has time to help me with the race and he is involved we, we train all the time he's going to be the runner that does the bad water section of the uberman relay um cool. he, he's just a born born natural runner very very talented sub 10 hour ironman guy um aaron is going to be my crewman for a lot of the challenges that we have coming up he's i call aaron my my protector um <laughs> he's just i call him Ironside. if you've seen vikings with ragnar and, and whatnot so he's aaron's literally my protector and, and one of my best friends um just a complete stud. I, th those guys are just bl blood. And again, I'll, I'll say it again, that nothing is great is ever accomplished on our own. And I never refer to it that I'm the iron cowboy. It's, it's, we are the iron cowboy. And, and that we is me, uh, the wingman and um, my wife, Sonny and our family. Um, that That's who the iron man is. And it's now become an extended family of anybody that we've touched or impact along the way. And the, the symbol of of the Iron Cowboy means so much more than what it used to, the cowboy hat and the beard. And, and it means never giving up and believing in yourself and having toughness and grit and doing what you say you're going to do and showing up every single day with relentless pursuit and, and having passion, um, having integrity and, and owning owning your mistakes. And it, it means all of that to, to all of us. Um, and, and I hope that's the legacy that, that goes on, not the the 0.24% bullshit that, that a, a very few people want to want to focus on and bring to light. It's about all of those other things, the, the impactfulness of it and, and the meaning behind it. Um, I don't want the Iron Cowboy brand to be about me. I want it to be about all those other things and the impact and change that, 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 it, that it can and should have. Well, and you you did refer to we the entire way through this conversation. Okay. I, I noted it early on, and I, I I like it. I actually just thought of a thought of a fundraising thing that you could do before you kick off on Tahoe, which is really the beginning of what's an insane year. I wonder if you could shave your beard as a fundraising, <laughs> and then let it grow out the for entire the rest time. Of the year. 
Yeah, but like for you, that shedding, like that's something that's out of your comfort zone. Like people haven't seen your face in its entirety for a long time. I uh, I, I I literally I literally woke up two days ago and said, "Man, I, I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna shave today, like completely clean, like I'm gonna bick it." And then and then I remembered I had two filming sessions for our coaching videos that I needed to do that afternoon, and I'm like, nobody would know who I was. And so I, to be honest with you, I badly I badly want to shave it. Um, and, and, but then I'm like, I've got some, some marketing videos that I need to record and this and that and the other. And I, I, I would know, I it just wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense to have it, have it, have it, have it. And then for these like four videos, I don't have it. <laughs> and so I, I should have, I should have done it at the beginning of the quarantine is what I should have done. Um, yeah, but do it before Tahoe. Like do no, it it's a great a, idea. Um, fundraising campaign and, you know, like see the Iron Cowboy fresh faced and see how far it grows through the year of pushing yourself in many different forums. Yeah. The before and afters would be awesome. That's a great oh. idea. I'm going to, I'm going to take that to the team. Yeah. Well, am I part of your campaign team now? You are now. <laughs> yep. You just got hired. I got hired. I'm on the Iron Cowboy team. Can I wear a hat? You can. Anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I love it. You know, when we met in Fiji, I could see the introvert in you. Like when you, Mark and I were having a conversation and he's like, I could see that he's, you know, doesn't just go and chat to everyone, even though I'm sure a lot of people at that race arena knew who you were. Yeah. Um, you do hold back a little bit. Like you don't give every part of your personality, which is quite reflective of a lot of endurance athletes. You know, we're used to being in our own head, being in our own time, and it can be quite overwhelming, high energies from all around the place. Um, So I'm so happy that we actually got to have this conversation where I'm not, you know, reading an article, I'm not listening to you know, the film, I'm actually kind of knowing the nuts and bolts of what drives you and it's the variety of experiences that you've chosen to put yourself in that's crafted you to have the unique perspective and lens on the world that you have. And I can't wait to follow the next <laughs> 15, 16 months with awe. Um, and, of course, you know, I'm going to be a big cheer, you know, squad for you when you come to Australia, but also hopefully I can support you in any other way as well. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it and I hope the... The audience has has gained a little bit of um, knowledge for themselves that they can apply to their lives. Uh, I really like that guy. It was so easy to speak to James. You know, he's an open book. He gives so much. You can tell how passionate he is. And you know what? This guy just lives life to the fullest. Like, there's no regrets. And, you know, I, I said it so many times throughout the podcast, but I do find it so compelling that he has found a way to bring his family along for the journeys that he does. And in fact, it becomes the family journey. Now, you guys would certainly want to check out James um, moving on from this. You can find heaps about him via his social media. You can find him on Instagram, which is at IronCowboyJames. But his website has a stack of virtual races, coaching plans, more about him, his speaking, the whole shebang, which is www.ironcowboy.com. Guys, I hope you loved that conversation as much as I loved having it. And on top of that, I hope that you are happy, safe, and well wherever you are. Um, Lots of love from me to you. And uh, tune in out now.